Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Scott Jacobson. Scott is a managing director at Madrona Venture Group where he has spent the past 14 plus years helping early stage technology entrepreneurs in the Pacific Northwest build and scale their companies. Scott is on the boards of companies like Rover, Flex, and Commerce IQ, and focuses much of his energy on consumer businesses or business technologies that have a significant consumer component. Prior to joining Madrona, Scott worked at Amazon, where he did two tours of duty, leading product management for Amazon's third-party seller platform, and working on the launch of the original Kindle. Welcome, Scott. Good to see you. Thanks, Shauna. Great to see you. Okay, so I'm hitting you with rapid fire. What's your biggest pet peeve? Well, I don't. You know, I don't really have pet peeves. Uh, Karen's biggest pet peeve is like, like lip smacking, uh, which I probably do. So I'd say my biggest contribution to pet peeves is, you know. <laughs> Uh, making noises that's funny like chewing gum loudly kind of thing yeah or breathing or you know all those things <laughs> God I, I forbid you breathe. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know you've Loud been together breathing. a long time you're like oh yeah. god a, I yeah. here and breathe yeah I, i'm um, more of a creator <laughs> of pet peeves than a sufferer of one that's hilarious what are three words that your three amazing boys would use to describe you as a dad um, fun i hope uh uh stern probably they would say although i would disagree with that and um uh dad oh i love that um okay scott what's your hidden talent my hidden talent um you know i'm great at washing dishes i I know a lot of people wouldn't necessarily believe that about me but uh you know when karen and i were in our first house uh and it was just the two of us that was my job dishwasher so you like load um, the dishwasher well uh, wash dishes you know i mean i've had every job you can think of from when i was a kid you know folding clothes i mean d- delivering newspapers like i i like the i like the working with my hands kind of stuff which you know as a guy in tech and stuff or probably maybe people wouldn't imagine yeah well you can do that on your side side jobs um okay which sport would you love to compete in if you were in the olympics the olympics uh, uh, I love teams that are not supposed to win who win. So even though I'm not like an ice hockey player, you know, the Americans beat it, you know, kind of beating Canadians, like some, you know, the underdogs, I'm a big underdog fan. So any sport in which the Americans are usually the losers and come back and, and, uh, and prevail. But you're going to be the athlete in it. So what sport would yeah. you have fun, so, fun doing? Um, well, I mean, if it's, if it's an Olympic sport, I don't know. Uh, maybe uh, throwing a javelin or shot put, something like that. Nice. And if you could teleport anywhere right now, where, where would you go and with who? Somewhere sunny because it is raining outside. Uh, it would definitely be with my wife. I would say maybe Hawaii, you know, somewhere sunny and and, uh, and warm. Maybe the kids, yeah. uh, the dog, if she's lucky. Are you into the dog? I am. 
Yeah, I'm super into the dog. I never had a dog before, and uh, our we now have a COVID puppy, and she's uh, she's great, great for the. She's family. the cutest dog ever. I saw Karen right after you got the dog, and I, and Karen was like not into getting a dog, and I saw her. She was like a deer in headlights. I'm not a dog person, and now of course she's attached. That's yeah. just what happens. Yeah, she's been great for our family. That's always what happens. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so I know you're from Deerfield, Illinois. Tell I me. Am. Tell me about Deerfield. I mean, I've never been there. I've been to yeah. Chicago. It's uh, like, only once. Yeah, it's a suburb. You know, it's called the North Shore. It's a suburb of, of Chicago. It's a very, um, you know, it's a, just sort of a nice, um, easy place to grow up. Uh, you know, kind of like Seattle in that everybody's friendly. Uh, you know, you can ride your bike at any time of the day. Um, I don't know if everybody left their doors unlocked and the cars unlocked, yeah. but it was definitely a safe and and fun place to be in. Yeah, we lived there most of my life, a uh, couple of years on the East Coast, but uh, but that was until I met my wife. That was kind of all of all of uh, geographically where I've been. Yeah. And did you think that you were going to end up there? Like, if you hadn't met Karen, would you have? Is that a place that you would want to raise your kids? You know, um, I love Chicago in late spring and in the fall and in the early summer. It's like New York. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't love the you know wind chill off the lake i don't love the humidity and so i probably would have ended up in california i think you know i went to grad school down there and i probably would have stayed um if i didn't have reason to come up here but um super glad that i did yeah and were you did you go to private or public school public great public schools were you all uh, interesting like all of the schools in that area are good certainly where we lived yeah and did you were you into school i attend northwestern so you had to be pretty good in school but was school kind of um something that came easy for you yeah you know I sort of I feel like I um I wouldn't say I peaked but like you know I <laughs> I, I sort of became more serious about school as I continued to do school so I don't know that I took it too seriously in sort of high school and then college a bit more and then by the time when I got to grad school when I should have actually not really cared about it I was probably the, the best that I'd done uh, all all through the way but yeah yeah, I I always enjoyed school you know to me it's more about learning ways of thinking you know and and versus learning specific things I think a lot of people you know you can get a lot of knowledge from reading books and I like to read um but you know learning ways to think um is at least for me you know what I got the most out of school yeah what what kinds of things do you read are you reading a lot right now like these days you know, I try to, but with, you know, three kids and a job and a half and, you know, and a dog and, you know, a wife, it's harder. Um, probably more, like I would imagine a lot of people, books on tapes, podcasts, et cetera, just mm-hmm. because, you know, when I'm driving or working out or whatever, you can kind of yeah. enjoy that. And it's everything from things that are relevant to what I do, technology, you know, entrepreneurship, startups, to um, like for fun. It's like sci-fi. I, you know, that I'm still a little bit more into just kind of turn your brain off and, yeah. you know, go use the, your imagination. The brain candy stuff. Is there anything that you've listened to or read or seen in the past year that you find yourself like continually recommending? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, you know, there's a few podcasts that I really enjoy. I mean, reading wise, I, I like people this is less books and more sort of journalism or publishing, but, you know, I really prefer the people who go deep. So like in my, you know, things that I read, like the information is an example of a, you know, kind of a tech blog that does kind of deep and not kind of the fluffy clickbait, you know, uh, listicle type of stuff. Um, 
Ben Thompson, Stratechery. I don't know if you read that um, blog, but he's super deep and kind of a deep thinker. Um, and Best Like the Best is a podcast that um, where the um, uh, his name's escaping me, but the the host who's great yeah. just has some really interesting people. You know, I, I like to listen to I, I like people's stories. I'm sure it's kind of part of why you did this. Podcast, oh my god, it's but, like I'm obsessed uh, with people's stories, yeah. and as I get to yeah. hear them all, this was like what drove me to start this. I'm like, I get access to really interesting, cool people, and sometimes I'm like, it would be so cool for other people to hear this and it's if a CEO or if it's an investor and people are just have this impression or they're kind of intimidated and they're like this is just a cool person who's loves run DMC <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. I enjoy that have you listened have you listened to um sorry have you listened to working backward the Amazon story so the you mean the book that um Bill Carr mm-hmm. and um yeah. yeah so I know so we actually had um Colin and Bill so Colin's wife Sarah and I used to work together but like way back in the day at Amazon and we kind of knew each other peripherally and then I worked with Bill as well um in two different kind of part of Amazon and so I know them quite well um and so actually when they uh, first published the book we had Bill and Colin in to present all you know kind of to do a little bit of like a book uh, discussion with all of our CEOs oh, you know as a, I'm as enjoying a, it I'm just listening yeah. to it right now I always have like three or four going at the same time mm-hmm. um but anyway. yeah I read an early copy I mean I you know I I, I quite enjoyed my time there and learned a lot yeah. you know that's sort of consistent with what they talk about so I actually love the book yeah um, and I think they're both terrific people yeah and I know that you've described your data you, there's a lot on you online by the way some people you can't find anything I'm like you know, you've been interviewed a lot. So I got scoop. Um, I know your dad influenced your interest in technology and also that he gave you some great advice. I'm reading what I read, which is awesome. It says the most important thing to do what you love and work with people that you respect and everything else will work itself out. I'm reading this because I'm just going to take your dad and be like cut paste for my own kids. (laughs) But I think it's just awesome advice. So how old were you? Was this like when you were in college or when you were little Um, or like lately? Well, you know, I'll kind of share a slightly different anecdote, which is, um, you know, my dad was an engineer. He worked at Bell Labs in Chicago and, you know, Bell Labs was sort of like, you know, um, what became part of AT&T is kind of a cool research thing. And uh, that took us out to New Jersey for a couple of years. Um, but he ultimately did an MBA at the University of Chicago. Super smart guy. He went to Northwestern undergrad. That's the only reason he and my mom, it's the only reason I got in. Um, okay. and, uh, and, and so th- he did that. He went to Northwestern, got like an engineering degree, worked at Bell Labs, you know, for a bunch of time, got an MBA uh, at the University of Chicago and became, you know, moved into management. And he didn't really like managing people. He liked doing engineering stuff and, you know, being a leader in, you know, as I'll call an individual contributor, as opposed to like a people leader. And, you know, for a lot of people, if you a, a invest in a, you know, in a, a, an education like that and be just from sort of like an ego perspective, I think it's natural to say, Hey, I'm going to make, you know, career advancements or, you know, compensation advancements or whatever that, that are associated with like people leadership as opposed to kind of product leadership. And, you know, he decided he didn't want to do that um, because what he loved was, you know, the, the hands-on building. Um, and I was really, I, I don't know if he ever talked to me about it, but I sort of got to observe it. You know, I always really appreciate that. It's like, Hey, what, you know, if you do what you love, you know, it, what fires you up and you do it with people you like, I mean, everything else will work itself out. It's not always about, optimizing for title or span of control or compensation or, or what have you. So that, 
we maybe have talked about it. I'm sure we did. Um, but I was really just respected that and continue to respect yeah. that. Yeah. And what about your interest in investing? Was that something that you kind of honed in on as a kid or just later in life? You know, I, I had not intended to be a venture capitalist. Um, and I don't think of myself per se as an investor. Um, you know, my partner, Tim Porter, who, you know, he and I were classmates in grad school. And I went to Amazon to build stuff and he went to Microsoft and, and you know, was um, in corporate development and strategy. And um, I was working on the original Kindle and that was about to launch. And I thought, hey, it'd be cool to try to build stuff, you know, outside of this great platform, learn an amazing amount of things at Amazon. But, you know, it's hard to know if you're any good when you've got the power of that platform, you know, like if you didn't have it. And so... I called Tim and he had just joined Madrona and I said, Hey, you know, you, you guys see all the cool companies in town and, you know, I think it'd be interesting to join a startup, you know, can you make some introductions? And so um, he did. And, and he said, Hey, it's, you know, and, and I had been, you know, transparent with the folks that I work with that, you know, I was going to kind of look at, you know, what was next for me, including outside of Amazon. And they're very supportive of that. And so um, he also asked me to look at a company that they were, you know, an e-commerce related thing that they were looking at. So I gave him some input. Um, and then it was just sort of serendipitous. There was a person at, at Madrona who left to go join a later stage fund down in, um, I think, San Diego, and they needed a backfill. Oh, and, that's crazy. Uh, you know, so, I've heard that so. story. You're like, and here I am 14 years later. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, we kind of had this kind of bi-directional um, agreement where, you know, even though I was interested in startups, it's not worth, you know, a firm hiring you for six months and then, you know, you disappear. And right. so, um, and likewise, you know, I, I didn't know investing was for me. And so we sort of made a two-year commitment to each other. And, you know, I actually thought it'd be a great opportunity, even if I was going to join a, a startup, just to learn. Totally. You know, well, being on things, the other side, you know, how to raise funds, how, all of it, just... That's an incredible way. And you also have an awesome foundation. I mean, working in New York for so long, um, recruiting for alternative asset companies, there is that kind of like, you know, strong college, obviously with Northwestern. And then you've got your consulting background with Accenture, which I, I'm sure somewhat equipped you with some skills, right? For, for investing and just like looking at companies through a different lens. I feel like people with investment banking and consulting experience have a really good foundation for kind of anything from there. Yeah, I, you know, we do hire um, a lot of young folks that have oftentimes that have banking and, and um, consulting backgrounds. And, and, and as you mentioned, I did, you know, I think there's a few reasons that people, um, you know, kind of work well who come from that context. I mean, one is there's, you know, getting up to speed quickly, uh, new opportunities, new industries, new categories, um, doing a lot of the legwork, you know, I mean, that's what analysts at, at investment banking firms and analysts at uh, consulting companies and strategy often do, right? So they context switch, they have to learn quickly, they have to become relatively <clears throat> expert, you know, by, by gathering data and talking to people, you know, synthesizing that and having points of view. Um, and then, you know, there's certainly the modeling aspect of, of what we do, which is a little more art than science at, or at the very early stages, how much capital is a company going to need, you right. know, what milestones do they need to achieve. Um, but, you you know, in the later stages, after we've made investments and companies made progress, like how do you value a company and how do you think about, you know, exit values and other things? You know, I mean, that helps to be able to 
manage a spreadsheet, you know, totally. and, and build models and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And people from with those backgrounds tend to be quite good at yeah. that too. Yeah, and you've got that experience. So if you hadn't gotten into Stanford, because obviously people ask me and I'm like, I don't have an MBA, but people do ask like what my opinion is as far as building their resume with an MBA. Um, and I always say, if it's a recognizable, like, kind of like, holy shit, you went to Stanford or Harvard or one of the top schools, yes. But what's your advice around getting an MBA and how did that experience prepare you yeah. or not for your career? Obviously, great network, the alumni network, but how else has it prepared you? So when I was later in my consulting career, which was not very long, um, I got to work with some technology companies in the late 90s in the Bay Area. And you know that was a pretty exciting time for tech and the internet boom. And that was kind of what gave me the tech bug. And, you know, I wanted the context switch out of consulting. You know, the strategy and learning about stuff is really exciting. The not getting to implement anything or owning decision-making was less fulfilling <laughs> for me. And so I said, okay, well, I want a context switch. I don't know what I'm qualified to do as a consultant if I'm going to go into a, jump into an operating role. And so business school is kind of a natural break, you know, where you sort of get to, um, yeah. Know, learn and experiment and, and be cur- you know, curious, but then you know, people hire out of there, right? And so it's sort of a natural place to go learn a set of skills and then go into something new. I sort of wondered if it'd be interesting to be an entrepreneur um, you know, when I went to, to grad school. And it was an interesting time because this was 2001. And so you know, <laughs> the world uh, was falling a lot apart, of things yeah. didn't work out. And, so, and a lot of my classmates were people who'd started their own companies. And so I kind of came out of there thinking, well, gosh, it'd be great to learn on somebody else's dime. You know, I learned about how to think about, again, like frameworks for thinking, how to get up, you know, to speed quickly on new things, but I didn't really have any operating experience. And so um, I interned at Amazon between my two years of uh, business school and, and then, you know, felt like that would be a great next step to really build skills as a, as a builder. Such a good experience. So how many people were there at the time? It was early, I mean, not early, early days, but pretty early. At Amazon, yeah, um, you know, I don't know. It was probably seven or eight thousand in Seattle, yeah. so it was not. I mean, it's not crazy. You know, it was not, but, but so much smaller than now. Yeah, I know. yeah. obviously, yeah, there's a, been so, so many articles and studies around Amazon and Jeff Bezos, and people have kind of this fascination. Um, I don't know what my opinion is as far as like would I have been successful there, working there. Part of me is like, well, of course I would, based on how people have described it. Um, yeah. What, I guess, if you were to start a company today, what would you take from your experience as far as the culture there? And what would you leave behind? Because we work with a ton of spin-outs of Amazon and you know they've, they've implemented a lot of the same things around recruiting, mm-hmm. the way that they look at recruiting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that one, I mean, I, I'd say there's a few kind of key things. I mean, the customer centricity element and focus on customers, not competitors, you know, that to me is sort of the golden rule. And, you know, I certainly think about that with all of uh, the companies that I have the opportunity to work with. Um, And I think that's, it's hard to argue against that. And yet there's very few companies in the world who are as customer centric, who are, who are at all customer centric, let alone as customer centric as that company um, has been. And I do, 
believe in the bar raiser approach, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, for, you know, at Amazon, it, the, the hiring manager isn't necessarily the, the ultimate decider, or at least there's somebody else with a veto power. And that's very helpful, uh, I think, in the context of, you know, you've got a real pain right. point that you need to solve. But, you know, we need to make sure that we're raising the bar for the company. And in a company like that, which I actually really believe in for any company where it's easy to move from one part of the organization to the next, and they actually um, promote that, foster that so people can grow and build different skills. It's really important, right? Because if you don't hire somebody who meets or exceeds the bar, um, and that may be your problem as, as the hiring manager, but then that becomes somebody else's problem if they move into a different group. And so um, I think that, you know, the... Um, sort of data-driven or at least data-informed decision-making, you know, that that really resonates with me. I'm a quant. And so um, data is not everything. And um, there's a uh, CEO I work with of, of a non-tech, completely non-tech company and uh, uh, sort of, um, I forget what he says, but it's like no, no data without stories and no stories without data. Yeah. You know, I mean, you really have to understand the customer experience. Uh, in addition to just sort of, you know, reading, you know, what the the math says. But, you know, again, there's a lot of companies that don't take a data-driven approach to decision-making, and yeah. that's something that really resonates with well, It almost feels ridiculous to not use data because we have access, even anything. I mean, I know you're big, like, I've got my Fitbit. I don't know if you've got the, like, that ring that, like, but if you can kind of just hack things through the data, or like in our business, we're always looking at data, but it's not the whole story. But if you didn't look at it at all, something would be wrong. Like yeah. it's a, it's available to us for the first time in a significant way. So tell me about your contribution at Amazon. Is there is there something that you're like, I feel really proud of this or like I didn't quite get to complete what I started because this bug caught me, you know, Tim uh-huh, Porter, uh-huh. that damn Tim yeah. Porter. <laughs> well, I mean, um, most of my work on the marketplace, which was kind of the first, um, you know, tour of duty, if you will, was on the backs of other folks. And so, I mean, there were some really neat things that were built, but yeah, you know, it's hard to sort of look at those things again, lots of tailwinds and say, was that compelling or wasn't it? Um, the Kindle was neat just because it was new, you know, and so, you know, we were, we were drafting off of our relationship with publishers, people knew, you know, the content that we had, you know, I mean, this huge customer base, but that was all new. Um, you know, um, I was responsible for a few different product related things. And, and these were all team efforts. So it's not like I was responsible for any one thing myself. But, you know, we had a um, one of the things I wrote was the spec for what's now called the I think it's called KDP. It's basically the way that people can self-publish on Kindle. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, so it's like, a, um, and uh, you would be surprised at at least there's a couple of notable, very big um uh, titles that were originally self-published. Um, you know, and so the nice thing about Amazon is, you know, you can think about, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, if you have the distribution platforms empowering creators, right. And not sort of concentrating power amongst the big, you know, the record labels or the publishers or whatever it is. Yeah. And so there's always, you know, if you're the technology distribution platform, there's still that risk, right? The Apple App Store, the Google App Store, Amazon's, you know, bookstore, et cetera. But, you know, not having to go through intermediaries is to me a very powerful thing that technology enables. And so that that was kind of a neat, again, that there are many um contributors to that, but I got to work on that. Um, You know, we had this science experiment, which was kind of neat. You know, if you, and the context at the time was um, 
a relatively small number of books were being put in ebook format because like seven, eight years ahead of that, there was like the first generation of ebook readers and they all failed. And so publishers had no interest in putting things in that format. And so one of the things that um, I also got to work on, you know, Amazon had uh, lots and lots of um, digitally scanned books. So, you know, you could search inside the book, look inside the book. These were sort of features on the Amazon product detail page. You could see the table of contents, read a couple passages kind of thing. And um, there was a team that turned those books, which are just basically a bunch of very high res uh, pictures, right? Like, high, you know, and turn them into ebooks, oh, which was cool. not an easy task. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I don't know that we sold a whole lot of them, but, you know, early on selection so have you know amazon is all about price selection and convenience and selection meaning how many books do you have you know we're competing with sony who had actually used the same uh, screen technology that we did with their reader um and one of the ways we were able to win is just by having better selection and that was a contributor that's sounds like incredibly um exciting because it's something that you can say like actually i can measure that like i i left something there that's very very cool if you were to sit with jeff bezos today um, I guess, what do you think's in his mind as far as three, five years out? Some of the stuff that he's involved, that, that Amazon has done now, I mean, even just going recently to the crack into climate pledge arena, and just like you're walking in and they're like, they know who it is and you just walk out with your beer. Have you been since they've opened yeah. it? Like Amazon's whole technology around it. It's like, who would have thought that like, oh, we're going to put books online and now this is where we are. Like, where do you think Amazon's going to be three, five, even 10 years from now? Yeah, well, I don't know how much time he's spending thinking about it anymore since, you know, he's not CEO. Yeah, I know. And, but, okay, um, sit with yeah. Andy Jassy. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, it's a great question. I think there's some big assets that are being built, you know, that, that aren't um, easy to see. Mm-hmm. You know, so one example would be, you know, Amazon is now the third largest deliverer of um, parcels, right? So between behind FedEx and actually, sorry, I think behind UPS and USPS maybe, and I think they just surpassed FedEx. So, you know, it used to be that Amazon delivered none of their packages and now they deliver more than half, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some of these assets that I think that company is particularly well suited to build are ones that, that are built off its scale. Right, it's already right? there. So they already have huge yeah. scale, you know, and so now how do we scale that up? And then you've seen some things that are bulk bets but where they don't have, you know, like take drones as an example and drone delivery, where, you know, there are factors out of their control, regulatory factors, the FAA, you know, et cetera, that, you know, aren't necessarily going to allow them to do some of those things. Um, I'm really interested to see what they'll do with autonomy. You know, they bought a company called Zooks, um, which is an autonomous navigation, you know, car navigation thing. Um, there are big investors in Rivian, which is not an autonomous uh, vehicle company. It's an electric vehicle company, but, you know, they have, you know, and they, and they ordered a hundred thousand electric Rivian, you know, delivery. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be fascinating. Okay. So you framed it um, earlier when you're talking about uh, Tim kind of giving you this, like, okay, let's do this for two years. Let's see how it goes with Madrona. Mm-hmm. What were you looking at to through what lens were you assessing the opportunity to be here? So, you know, like I said, originally it was about what can I learn? You know, and I just fell in love working with entrepreneurs. You know, that was not something that I had the opportunity to do in my past lives. And, you know, it was weird not building to be candid. And, you know, and and um, I've had 
folks I used to work with at Amazon who are now entrepreneurs kind of remind me that I'm no longer <laughs> an operator builder. I think it makes you a but, better investor um, though. Let's be, I mean, right. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it's something I have a passion for and I enjoy doing and have some, you know, kind of empathy for, uh, um, and, but, but yeah, I just, it's, it's fun. You know, one of the things I liked about consulting was being able to context switch, you know, I was uh, involved in a variety of companies and I'm sort of, you know, a lifelong learner, you know, that's one of the things I'm really passionate about. And so um, that's very attractive about this, you know, and it's not just in the context of the entrepreneurs who you get to work with, who are super fun, you know, and just the opportunity to be a partner with the people, um, but also just the you're effectively getting for really people to come and talk to you about what they think the future is going to be. Totally. Um, and I can't think of very many, you know, probably Jeff Bezos when he was a CEO had a lot of people doing that with him, you know, for, for employees at, at Amazon and, and senior executives and maybe, you know, if you're the president of the United States or something like that, but I, there are very few uh, jobs you could have where you actually get paid to do that. And so um, that, you know, as a, as a, as a lifelong learner, you know, that's super attractive to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like to build things too. And maybe we'll talk about that, but you know, it's, um, I just, I fell in love with, with with learning and and entrepreneurs. And how was it kind of different than what you thought? Like, what, what did you picture yourself doing versus what it actually turned out to be? I guess people would have the idea that it's more of an analyst job Mm. versus realizing that at the end of the day, it's a people job. You're connecting I mean, you're, you're obviously doing analysis, but there's a whole lot of connecting that's happening that people are, I don't think are aware of when entrepreneurs are choosing which, um, which firms to partner with. They're thinking of like the value add of the venture partner that they're choosing. Like, you know, how much, how much contribution as far as the product, uh, are you going to be by my side? Like when the shit hits yeah. the fan? Yeah. And then also like, how can you open yeah. up doors I think for those me? are all important. I mean, I think different, investors have different points of view about how and when they can add value. And, and frankly, some choose not to, you know, very intentionally, you know, there are firms you can raise capital from today who don't want to be on the board, you know, want to get quarterly updates and that's all good. And, you know, sometimes that's attractive at a certain stage in the life of a company to an entrepreneur, but at the very early stage, I do think it's about the partnership, you know, and about the chemistry and the, the personal chemistry, but also, you know, having a shared vision but not having a fixed mindset Mm. you know like because the reality is in these early stage companies you may be directionally correct but specifically wrong uh, to quote one of my partners and you have to have a malleable view you know the and and i think that's important for everybody and so i really like entrepreneurs and i think gravitate toward entrepreneurs who have a strong point of view of where things are going um, but, you know, to quote, a, you know, Jeff Bezos, um, you know, strong convictions loosely held. This is sort of like something that he would say often. And, you know, I think it's important to have a point of view, but it's also important to be able to synthesize information to learn and then be open to changing that point of view. Yeah. Um, you know, not to get too political, but like, you know, that's, I think, one of the great failings of our political system is, you know, people go on running X and then they have a really hard time ever saying anything different than X. But the reality is, we all get more information. We all learn, and it's okay to change your mind. Yeah, yeah. So you're now in your eighth fund, um, at three hundred and forty-five million dollars, the biggest fund yet. Correct? How correct. how has the firm changed? And um, I guess what direction? Some of the the OGs, right? The original founders are um, 
kind of passing the baton on to, I, I don't even think you'd be next gen, but kind of the middle gen. <laughs> <laughs> Too old to be next your, gen. Your middle yeah. gen. Yeah. But like what, what direction do you think um, Madrona will be going in and um, how do you kind of look at that as far as what you might miss about the early days? Hmm. Well, you know, um, Tim and I and, and some others worked in the bullpen, or we called it the bullpen, but you know, that I always really enjoyed the cr- camaraderie of kind of being smushed together. And in fact, I asked him to share an office. I was going to say, me, you so did that, that by choice. <laughs> now you're there by choice. I, I've walked around there enough times to be like, huh? And you're like, no, those guys are like bosom buddies. They want to be yeah. next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, he certainly, uh, he was very gracious to accept my, I asked him <laughs> if he wouldn't mind sharing an office. And so um, I really like the camaraderie. I mean, not just, you know, the partnership with entrepreneurs, but also the partnership with our, our team and, um, and that close kind of, you know, ability to work together and, and, I don't think that changes as the firm grows. I mean, you know, the fund size can grow, the number of people can grow. But like we talked about at the beginning, you know, it's the people that matter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having, you know, you can't have as as a tight-knit a group when you're there's four of you as when there's, you know, 14 or 40. I mean, I'm sure you see this in your business. Yeah. And yet, you know, really making sure that everybody I think we have the same view, which is like everybody we bring in should be better than we are, you know, you know, the next. And so I think Madrona has done a great job of that. I think, you know, if you look at the people who've joined our ranks, both in, you know, up and down the stack, um, there are, you know, great, uh, uh, maybe upgrades, not the right term, but they're fabulous. Um, And I think it just makes for a better firm, you know, from a strategy perspective, you know, uh, you know, early stage, really formation stage investing is, is, you know, something that just really pulls at my heartstrings. And, you know, we talk about day one for the long run, you know, we want to be there at the very early stages, but we want to help part, you know, entrepreneurs through their whole journey. You know, and one of the things that I think we used to do uh, differently than we do now is, you know, when a company would go public, we would say, okay, well, that's kind of the end uh, for us. Right. But it's really just a financing milestone for the company. And so we've remained, you know, involved on the boards for a longer period of time. And that's, I think, gratifying to us. I think it's good for the companies because we have that depth of relationship and understanding of the business. And it's oftentimes good for our investors too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as we've, you know, kind of seen more of these, um, movies all the way through the end, we build some skills in later stage investing or, you know, helping companies at the later stage continue to make those strategic decisions. And so we have, you know, raised a, what we call an acceleration fund, um, which doesn't start at the very early stages, but sort of more at the BC mm-hmm. or whatever language you want to use for these later stage Post companies. kind of right? revenue attraction. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I started a $3 million round, it's called a series A and now it's called like a pre-C. Right. Yeah. So, the, so the, much the money names, flying the names around. Change. It, I can't keep track of all that. So tell me about when you, first, you know, early days, what was your first kind of like, oh my gosh, I got this right. You know, your first good investment that you felt was kind of your baby that you brought in. You actually, I'm going to answer a different question, which is like one, which one did I get wrong? Yeah. You know, because I think there's the, you know, it's always fun to talk about the exciting, you know, wins, but I think it's harder. It's, it's sometimes harder. To Better talk about learnings to talk about the, the mess. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, one of the first, a guy named Dave Chappelle, who's not comedian Dave Chappelle, but a former Amazonian, a good friend of mine, uh, who was a Madrona entrepreneur, introduced me to a um, entrepreneur called, named Jeff Lawson. And Jeff was at AWS. Um, you know, he was an Amazonian. 
and he wanted to build, you know, telephony as a web service, you know, just like you have compute and storage and these other things. And um, companies called Twilio. And, you know, he was based in Seattle, but he was moving out of the Bay Area. And Matt McElwain and I met with Jeff. And, you know, he had this really neat, you know, it's like single line of code and you put it on a page. And this was, there was no mobile app. I mean, this, you know, almost maybe didn't predate the iPhone, but it certainly predated the app store. And so this was about, you know, embedding like telephony into web pages and, you know, hey, customer service or, you know, whatever. You can imagine some uses for that. And it's one line of code and everything on the back end is really complicated. And we simplify everything. It was very AWS-y, right? And, and Jeff is a tr tremendous, you know, kind of person. And the two, two reasons we passed, and, and, but I, you know, I think we, we had full opportunity. I mean, Jeff could probably say different, but, you know, I think, you know, we, you know personal chemistry and otherwise. One is the company, you know, he's moving the company out of the, the Bay Area. And I think we were, you know, we gen generally invested in companies you know, based in Seattle, but that wasn't the driving factor. Um, we weren't sure about whether the kind of bottoms up developer oriented sales model and like going to conferences and kind of selling that way would be a way to scale the business. And that was 100% wrong. Mm. Um, I actually had that on. Here's a question, Mike. Which investment opportunity did you pass up that you regret? <laughs> it truly, truly <laughs> makes sense. So speaking of that, so you're talking a little bit, giving us a little hint around like the lens that you use to assess. And we we did talk about data. Um, how, what role does like your gut play in how you make decisions? Um, you know, I think it's sort of a gut feel and intuition about the entrepreneur. You know, or a gut feel or intuition about what could happen in the future for a market that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think gut plays less of a role in things like, hey, they have customers and revenue, right? And so we can talk to customers. Um, or even if they don't have customers, we understand who the customer might be. And so we can go like, like to the extent that you can learn by speaking to people who have an informed point of view, you know, we want to go do that as much as we can. Mm -hmm. um, gut is certainly a big factor around people, right? I mean, it's, and it's, it's like any close relationship. I mean, if you're going to be on somebody's board, it's going to be a five to 10 year journey in all likelihood. And so how well do you know each other? You know, one of the things I'd prefer to do if possible is get to know somebody long before, you know, we're writing a check and, and, and to build that relationship, partly because, you know, then, Hopefully we have a better chance of winning because we can demonstrate our value, but also because, you know, it's not like you get married after the first date right. kind of thing, you know, in, in, in other types of relationships. And so, you know, once you write the check and you join the board it's sort of, you're in it for yeah. a while. It's hard, so to, it's hard to undo that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and trust have, and empathy and yeah. How many current investments do you have in the portfolio and which companies are you most excited about? Uh, I'm not going to answer that. You That's like, you know, to. which is my favorite, <laughs> which is my favorite to. child. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, every new investment you make is kind of an exciting, Hey, it's, there's a newness element to it, but it doesn't make the, you know, the, the more legacy investments less interesting. Um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll actually mention a company that, um, you know, may sound counterintuitive and because it's one, it's, it's an older company in our portfolio. And two, you know, it's a company that really got smashed by COVID. Um, it's a company called Peach. And I actually, I think you had Nishan on yeah, uh, Nishan. one of your, He's you know, awesome. yeah. So, so, you know, the, um, you know, broadly speaking in sort of the food delivery space and, you know, but really in aggregating demand and um, in the context of offices, 
well, you couldn't be in a worse, you know, category than that when COVID yeah. hits, you know, nobody's going back to the office, et cetera. Um, and I don't want to, um, I'm not going to mention, and I don't know if he did on the podcast, but I'm not going to talk about the kind of new product um, he's launching, which is, you know, di directly related, but I'd say slightly adjacent. Uh, and he and I were talking yesterday and this is a company that's, you know, he's, they've been through the ringer, you know, just to be clear. And I and not be more excited about the, the what they're building right now, and I think Ooh, that's I'm going to call him far, <laughs> far larger than you know uh, where he was able to build you know prior to COVID yeah. the, the first business. And so, um, you know, it's not always about who's raised the most money, or you know, I mean, we've got lots of great mm -hmm. um, you know stories about you know small to big, and and those are great too. Um, but the you know near misses, you know, that turn into something really exciting. I mean, that to Extra. me is like the best exciting story. oh yeah that's got a, that's a that's yeah. a warm fuzzy good story yeah. um so speaking of the pandemic I actually was curious like what surprised you during the pandemic because I know those early days when I was having conversations even with people in your industry saying kind of like you know we thought it was going to be a shorter period of time so them kind of being like we're going to hold on we haven't met we're not going to invest in companies or we haven't like spent a lot of time and met the entrepreneurs and especially in person hmm. and that kind of was like thrown out the window all sorts of money was thrown in during the pandemic. We got busier than we've ever been, times like a thousand. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. because all, all sorts of money was being put to use, but people didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah. So how, how did it impact um, kind of what you thought was going to happen and, and how's it different? Yeah. Well, I think there's sort of two different lenses I used as it relates to our venture business. We have one is, are we going to make investments in companies and entrepreneurs we've never met right. physically in person? And as you said, you know, I don't think we ever said we wouldn't. Um, and certainly many of the first half of 2020 investments we made were people we met prior to the pandemic in person. And, but yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have predicted that our pace of investing would have been as, um, you know, as hot as it was. But I think part of that is because I wouldn't have predicted that certain segments of, um, you know, of, of the industry, certainly technology would accelerate yeah. in the way that they did. You know, Q2 of 2020 was sort of a tough quarter for almost every company, independent of what you were doing, maybe with the exception of Zoom, because, you know, right. if you're selling enterprise right. software. Right, you're like Zoom and Slack, you know, they're great. Yeah, I mean, a few a few notable exceptions, but, you know, Q2, everybody with their budgets was like, oh, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen here, so I'm just not going to write a check. I'm not going to buy that piece of software. And so everybody had a crappy Q2. But then in Q3, you know, we, okay, this is probably going to be a while, and the working from home thing works. And so in the te technology sector, you know, people's productivity is driven by their ability to use technology. And so everybody's working from home. Well, guess what? Technology and software is that much more important. And so in Q3, Q4, those things came back, right? And so if the, uh, and it continued to do so through the pandemic. And so, you know, at least in our industry, say, well, gosh, you know, that's creating new opportunities, future of work. Are we going to be in mostly hybrid, you know, work context? Okay, well, that creates a new whole new set of challenges around collaboration, which software, you know, and technology can can help yeah. address, right? Um, and so I, I think there's a bunch of um, plenty that have not, right? But it, but as it relates to our investing, um, that you know you would be foolish to you know not write checks into great companies because you hadn't met person. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, as we sit here today. We're starting to meet people again in person, and I still think that personal touch is oh, important. Oh, yeah. It's a, it makes a huge, huge difference. So during the pandemic, um, tell me, like, you got you got a dog. Uh -huh. 
And did you also start this? Tell me about this garage that you started. <laughs> this I know you're. In, I know you're like a car guy. Uh-huh. Um, but tell me about this. Yeah. This garage. How did you come up with the idea for your yeah. recent? Um, so I am. I, I I like the beauty. I, I'm a, a aesthetically. I enjoy like old cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like just think classic, there's something about old it. school. It's uh, this is not a great analogy, but I compare it to movies. You know, every movie with you know some notable exceptions, but pretty much every movie's ever been made. Like they've already been made, and now it's just a question of like what's the variation that somebody's going to bring. It's like an old trope but they're going to put it you know into some new just based on a formula that somebody else came up with Mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like that's what happens with cars you know there's new technology and there's new but you know from a design aesthetic you know and there's sort of a this kind of sad wasteful component of how people um use cars right because you've got all the sheet metals all this work that goes into making these things they're perfectly great um they just kind of need new um drivetrain you know things to make them safe and modern um, but there's no reason to throw away, you know, all this work and effort and energy and put into the old ones. And so um, I like new cars too. I'm sort of a car, you know, I'm, I'm into cars, but I really like old ones. And I really, you know, what resonates with me is the opportunity to beautiful and work just great. They're just old and need a new engine or they need a new suspension. They or, need you know, like they a need little zhuzh. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of something that's really fun and and interesting and exciting. And so I, it's, you know, it's, uh, I have a really great guy who runs it um, and it's kind of just getting off the ground. And so, you know, I, I'll go over there on the weekends mm-hmm. or a Friday night and, you know, he can te- teach me how to weld or, you know, do things with my hands, but uh, yeah, it's called Scoville Motor Works. Uh, and I'd spell that for you, but nobody needs to know. Um, you know, it's really only uh, my friends at this point who are sort of customers. We haven't really, you know, we, we have, we have a lot going on, but it's pretty much, all people that are close and so at some point you know as we start turning out um product you know we'll probably have a broader um aperture but it's it's kind of surprising how many i don't know if it's like nostalgia or whatever it is but like how many people are really into you know this thing that uh my dad drove when he was you know when i was a kid or gosh you know i had a poster of x on my wall actually um three of our clients are women, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a guy or gal thing. Yeah, it's like, like a car person thing. You know, people, lots of people have, are, have passion for that. Yeah. I'm actually started and it's very much a crawl, walk, run thing, but, you know, electrifying old vehicles to I me is see. sort of a really neat uh, opportunity. We're not, you know, we're, we're just getting started on, yeah. you know, figuring out how to do, you know, vanilla, but uh, that, that's another thing I'm super passionate about because I think that is the future um, but you know, there's no reason you can't do it in this, this beautiful. Old, yeah. Old and car. so if there's a car that you would invest in right now, as far as like a long-term investment. So I do think, um, these are scarce assets. I mean, you'd be shocked at baseball cards as oh, an I example know, and how right much now. those are. So I, I think if you just talk about collectibles broadly, there's something, and I, I do think this is accelerated by the pandemic, you know, partly relation that, that hasn't been spending money on this or that. And they say, Hey, you know, what's something I'm passionate about. And maybe they're going a little crazy. Or they have time, they have time, to think of, have time to think about it or watch like James Bond movies and like fantasize. Yeah. Is there a dream car yeah. for you? Like, you're like, Oh my gosh, if I ever. Yeah. Um, there is, car. there is, but I'll, I'll, I'm not going to answer that one, but I'll tell you the car that I'm building for myself right now is a, it's called a international harvester. So, you know, the tractors, international harvester or maybe you don't but that's a tractor company and in the 70s they built a model called the scout and so we're building for me 
uh, an international harvester, 1975 international harvester scout too. Okay, I'm gonna have to look um, it up. And it would, it might, yeah, I might look like an old Bronco or a or a Blazer, that type of thing. But um, you know, it. I just, I just, I love kind of like these old. You know they're beautiful. Yeah, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna be on to the be I'm gonna be on the lookout for you. So tell yeah. me, like, so you're there on the weekends, and um, what else are you looking to do, kind of on a random Saturday, and then of course on Sunday when you get yourself ready for the week. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you set yourself up to kind of balance it all? It's so different from what I do. You know, so when you think about, you know, in, in my day job, and you know, and I love technology, and 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 thinking about that stuff, but it's also fun just to, you know, not have, you know, to not do that. I talked about like reading, you know, science slinging wrenches, which I'm not good at, but, you, you know, like getting good. to sort of look at, you know, how does this work? How does an engine work? How do, you know, what are, you know, the bushings? All that, you know, I mean, just things that have nothing to do with anything I've ever known before. That's a great, I don't know if palate cleanser is the right term, but it just sort of like helps, you know, kind of reset my brain a little bit. Um, but you know, it's it's honestly that, that is you know kind of the the um, new project, and then you know my family. That's that's, that's really the priorities. And, and what about uh, as far as rituals, like this, or like um, you know, just how you set yourself up? Is even any hacks? Like, oh, I use this app for yeah. this or this. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, I don't know. I I'm not a as my wife would tell you. Like, I'm not the most organized person but I'm fairly punctual and you know, it's a lot of it's in my head and I'm sure at some point, you know, as I deteriorate in my old age, that will become a, a, a challenge and a flaw, but um, I don't use a lot of productivity hacks. You know, I, one thing I've, I've uh, really enjoyed, you know, I've got a, uh, we're investors in a company called trade coffee, which is like a really high quality, like a craft coffee kind of membership club. And, you know, that's become a fun kind of ritual for me in the morning. It's just making like a really nice cup of coffee coffee and it's an opportunity to hang out in the kitchen with the boys while they're getting ready for school but it's also sort of like I like things that take a little time but then it's sort of like worth the payoff yeah and what are you doing and for workouts these days to, uh so I maybe at some point I mean we like many put a peloton in the basement when COVID hit um I really enjoy running you know and and you and I live on the same island and you know it's running is fun there because you know there's a lot of elevation change like it's a good workout yeah um, it's hard to do at this time of year because you know even when I left the house today at whatever it was 8 15 it was not you know particularly bright out and so <laughs> running it you know 6 15 which is what I would need yeah, to do to sort black. of be able to help out in the morning all that yeah it's not fun and it's wet but I running is kind of my jam um, you know, I have a friend that I run with, Dave Glick, who you had on your podcast on the Oh, South yeah, I saw you guys running. Saturday that's morning. right. That's right. That's awesome. Um, so it's fun. You know, I, I really like to do that. I do like the boot camp thing and Orange Theory mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. The, the Peloton boot camp rocks. It's like a, yeah. it's a really good workout anyway. OK, so my final question for you is what fuels you? You know, I would say curiosity. Um, you know, I mean, that I, 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 I sort of talked about lifelong learning, but, you know, it's, I get energy in, in, you know, finding new things and learning about new things. And I think you have to have that curiosity to, to enjoy that, you know, and so um, that's where I get my energy. You know, I, I want to, I always, I'm a, I'm a continuous learner. I always want to come up to speed on something, imagine what the future could be. And um, that's it. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review 
on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.